Welcome to New Catholic Church. You're listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Daryl Finkston. Have you ever heard the statement, it don't get no better than this? That's not good English. But you know what I'm talking about. It don't get no better than this. It's amazing when we use that kind of statement, like when you're going on vacation and you get out there and you lay your, your back on the beach and you say, man, it don't get no better than this. Right? Or when your son-in-law makes you a big old slab of ribs, barbecue, and you just, and they invite you over and you just say, man, it just don't get no better than this. Or when you gather the family around and you see and all everybody and you just hear the noise of it and you know that, man, this is life, life's going on, it don't get no better than this. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever said that about your Christian walk? It don't get no better than this. That's what I want to talk to you this morning about. We've been in a series called The Covenant. Don't you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. And uh, we've been talking about covenant where God obligated himself toward man in such a way as to reveal his character and expose man's need in order to get man to trust him again. In the Old Testament, there's at least six covenants that God made with man. But man didn't trust him and couldn't trust him, really. So God, what God needed was a better man. In Galatians chapter 4, you don't have to turn there, it'll be on the screen. Galatians 4, 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions as sons. Jesus came to be the middleman, the Son of God, the Son of Man, to make a new covenant with us. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. Verse 6. We ended there last week, or we talked about it last week. So if you, if you need to, you can go back and on, on the website. You can listen to the past messages. Verse 6 says, But now he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry, insomuch as he's also the mediator, a mediator, the middleman of a better covenant which was established on better promises. A better covenant established on better promises. A better covenant. Jesus Christ is the mediator, the go-between of a better covenant. The Bible calls it the new covenant. We, as we shared in communion, it was the new covenant in His blood for the remission of sin. If something is said to be better then that means that something else is less or has a problem. Better than what? Better than the others? Look at verse 7 of Hebrews 8. For if the first covenant had been faultless or without defect, then no place would have been sought for a second. And then verse 8, because finding fault with them, we'll just stop right there, the fault the defect of all the other covenants that God made with man was them, was mankind, or maybe we could say was us. The problem was us. Now look at verse, the rest of verse 8. So he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. 
The new covenant wasn't going to be like the old. And when it says the old here, it's talking about the Mosaic covenant. The covenant of that God had given to Moses. The covenant written in stone. There's going to be a new covenant. Now, Paul is quoting, because it's in italics here, it's because Paul is quoting Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. He's quoting the prophet Jeremiah. God gave the word of the new covenant while they were in the old covenant. He gave the promise of the new covenant when things weren't going right. The new covenant was not new to God. That's what I'm wanting you to get. The new covenant wasn't new to God. It was just going to be new to man. Something had to happen. Something had happened. Someone had come. The better man. And he had done what no other man could do. He kept covenant. And he settled the accounts between God and man. What I want you to see is the new covenant is established on better promises. But the new covenant is only in Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 3 and 4 It says, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did. What the law could not do, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, like us, on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, in His own flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What we could never do, God did through Jesus. Jesus lived the life that God intended everyone to live so that He could die the death no other man could die for sin. God initiated a new covenant through Jesus, the Son of God and the Son of Man. And when Jesus Hung, I want to give you a different picture of the cross this morning. We think of the cross and we see the crown of thorns and we see the nails and we see the blood and we see that Jesus hanging there as a sacrifice for sin. But what I want you to know, there's something behind that that I want you to see this morning. You see, Jesus was the middle man. He was the man that could represent God to us, and he was the, the, he was the son of God who could represent God to us, and he was the son of man who could be the representative man to represent, to represent what man could be to God. He was the only one who could be in the middle. He's the only one who could be there. What I want you to see is what happened in covenant. When they cut a covenant, they divided the sacrifice in half and they placed the sides on either side and they walked through the covenant signifying that the covenant was cut, that it was made. Promises were given and it was to be kept. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was suspended between heaven and earth. He was the sacrifice. He was the representative of man, of God to man, and he was a representative of man to God, and he was saying, come through me. Pass through me. I am the way. Jesus was cutting covenant for man with God for us. The cross was not just a suffering 
but it was a sacrifice that God could pass through to us and we could pass through to Him. The the cross became a passageway, the only way by which God could get to us and we could get to Him. And I'm not talking about heaven someday. I'm talking about relationship, about rightness, about fullness of life, about the way God created us to be, a better covenant. God initiated a new covenant through Jesus. Jesus literally said, I represent, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I've been tempted in all ways such as them and yet without sin. Pass through me. 2 Corinthians 5.21 in the Amplified says it this way, For our sake He made Christ virtually to be sin who knew no sin, so that in and through Him we might become endued with, viewed as being in, and examples of the righteousness of God, what we ought to be, approved and acceptable in right relationship with Him by His goodness. The Old Covenant said, Thou shalt... Jesus in the new covenant says, I will. The old covenant says, do. Jesus in the new covenant says, done. The old covenant commands us to obey. Jesus in the new covenant invites us to trust. A better covenant. A better covenant. Based on better promises. And that's where I want to spend our time this morning. The promises established on better promises. In other words, the foundation of this new covenant, the goodness of this new covenant, is that we've got promises of God. Promises of God. There's at least three that we're, that's spelled out. Look at verse 10. And he quotes Jeremiah. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You remember when God gave the law to Moses? He was up on the mount for 40 days. You remember what God did? You've seen the movie, right? That the finger of God... He writes the words, ten words, the Ten Commandments. He writes the words in stone. A lot of times we don't get it. God was writing it in stone because that's what our hearts look like. Rock hard. You remember Moses comes down? They've already made the... He shows what they are. While Moses was meeting with God, they were making a calf. He comes down. You remember what he did with the stones? He broke them. It was like God says, oh, that your heart would be broken before me like these stones, that you would know what you've done. Now listen to this. God's not going to write the laws anymore on stone. He's going to write them on your heart, in your mind, on the center of your being. For that to happen, listen to me, he's not talking about words, he's talking about life. For that to happen, for God to be able to write His laws in your mind and open your heart, means that God is going to give you a new nature. He's going to make you a new creation. You're going to become something you've never been before. The law is not going to be written in letters. It's going to be written in life. 
First, Second Peter 1, 4 says that God has given us exceeding and great precious promises that through these we may become partakers of the divine nature. The law is no longer words engraved on external tablets, but now the internal dynamic of the life and nature of God. When God works the miracle of salvation, when you come to Jesus Christ, God works within you. He doesn't just clean you up or straighten you out. He makes you a new creation. Old things are passed away. Everything becomes new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, The laws put in our mind and written on our heart are not the letter of the law. And I want you to hear that because what we sometimes interpret this to mean is when I trust Jesus, He's going to write the Ten Commandments on my mind and in my heart. The Ten Commandments was just a revelation of the character of God, the holiness of God, and the way of life for man. Now listen to me. It was written on stone for man to be able to see, recognize, and try to do. The laws that God writes on our heart in the new covenant is not just the character of God, but it's the presence of God Himself. He comes to be in you everything He's expecting of you. You become a new creature in Christ, a new creation. You literally exchange your old spirit with a new spirit. God's spirit that comes and takes up residence in with you. And where the presence of the Lord is, there is liberty, freedom. There becomes a way now. The laws are not words written. It's a life given. And if you don't understand that, what you'll try to do is you'll try to keep the new covenant by old covenant standards. You'll try to read the book in order to find out what he wants you to do instead of receive the life so that you'll be doing what he wants. The new covenant, it, it don't get no better than this. I know you don't believe it yet. You will before it's over with. Life works. Listen, law has no life in it. There's nothing in the Ten Commandments that can make you do it, that can get you. There's no power by which you can live it. The way that you live it is by the life of God coming to be in you, the very character that it's commanding. Okay? Now I'm going to make a statement. There's no life in the law, but there is laws in the life. When I say that, I'm talking about there's the way life, the life of God is lived. And only He can live it. It's not according to your ability, it's according to His ability. When I enter into the new covenant, here's God's promise. I will come to be in you everything that I expect of you. Now, I'll tell you something. That's a pretty good switch. I don't know. I'd make that deal, wouldn't you? God, I hadn't been able to do it yet. I can't do anything. Every time I do anything, it's a wrong thing. I mean, you identify with that. The more, the more I try to get it right, I do it wrong. Is there any hope? Absolutely. Stop doing, Daryl, and trust me. I will come to be in you. I'm already there. Trust me and I will be in you. I have already put my, my way of life in your mind and in your heart. You know it. Trust me. 
You see, here's the thing. We think there's a list out there somewhere that we got to keep in order to be right with God. That's old. You can't keep the list because if you break it in one place, you've broken it all. You say, preacher, then, then you're saying we can just do anything I want? No. Not anything you want. You can do anything God wants. Because He has come to be that life in you and everything God wants from you, He will be in you. He's already put it there and when you need it, you got it. The deal is we don't believe it. We keep trying instead of trusting. Ah, don't get no better than this. So what is this law of life? How does this life work? What does he put in our minds and write on our heart? The whole law can be fulfilled in one word. Anybody want to say it? The whole law hangs on one thing. Love. What is God? God is. Well, if he comes to be in me, everything that he is, I will be a God to them and they shall be my people. If he comes to be in me, everything that God is, he's going to be pure love. He's going to be the reality of his character. He's going to be holy. He's going to be righteous. He's going to be good. All the attributes, every name you can say, he's going to be provider. He's going to, everything that God has revealed himself to be, he's come to be in you. That's the promise of the new covenant. I'll be, you'll be, I'll be God to you and you'll be my people. You know, in the old covenant, he was with them. In the new covenant, he's in us. Big difference. The law of that life, it works by love. Then preacher, why do we still have a sin problem? Why do we still have a problem with sin? I'm going to say this. If you know Jesus Christ, if you really know Him, if you've entered into this new covenant, if you really have laid the whole weight of your life on His sacrifice, on His, what He's done, and you're trusting Him to be your righteousness... If you've really given yourself to Him, I want you to know something. I want you to hear me. You don't have a sin problem anymore. What you've got is a sin habit. You say, I don't have a problem with sin. No, you've got a habit of sin. You just keep on doing it because you've always done it. And the way you break that habit is like you break any habit. You replace it with something better. Anybody been on a diet lately? The only difference between this and that diet is you're not replacing it with something better. You're replacing it with less. I want to tell you something. The righteousness that God gives you and the love and life that God gives you is better than any sin you could get into. I want to tell you something. His love and righteousness counters any sin you think you could have fun in because there's freedom there's joy there's fullness there's abundance in his life now well, let me ask you is your sin giving you that is that habit of sin really working for you then listen you don't stop sinning by focusing on focusing on your sin I'm going to stop doing that. Doing what? Doing that. I'm going to stop doing that. Doing that. Right there. I'm going to stop doing that. Well, how are you going to stop doing it when you're focused on it? The best way to handle sin is 
that's not, that's not who I am. That's not what God has done. I, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. I don't have to live that way anymore. Jesus, thank you. You've set me free from all of that. Now I'm focusing my attention on you. What do you have to say about it? You see, I don't have a sin problem. I have a problem thinking about sin. I have a habit. That, yeah, here's a, well, you, that's just not true. That sounds just like what the devil told Adam and Eve. That's not real. You won't really die. He questioned what God has said is truth. He questioned and canceled it out. And they believed the lie rather than the truth. And so they lived without God instead of with Him. Hear me. The devil hadn't changed his tricks. He's still telling you, and you're hearing it. Well, that preacher may say that. In fact, the Bible may say that. That's, but that ain't right because that's what I still do. That's just who I am. No, that's not. That's the whole point of the new covenant. That's not who you are anymore. You're a new creation. Old things, all things have become new. Old things have passed. It's become new. You're a new creation. God is in you. God is no longer living in tabernacles and temples of stone, but in human hearts alive in Him. You have a new nature. Number two, I gotta go on. If you don't believe that, and let me see if you believe this one. A personal relationship. Verse 11. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. There's two no's here. Know the Lord. And for all shall know me. Now, in English, it looks the same. In Greek, it's two different words. And in context, the first one is gnosko. In context, it says, none of you shall teach his neighbor, know the Lord. That know in context is, comes to do with teaching, with, with an external education. With, in other words, you're persuaded to know the Lord. It means ordinary knowledge, learned, objective, external. Knowledge or understanding of the mind. Yes, it's experiential, but it's because you've, you've learned it. The second word for all shall know me is the word ido. Ido means an inner knowledge, a perception, or an understanding. It's an inside information. The first know means to understand by persuasion. The second know is to understand by perception, by, by seeing it. Let me just use this illustration. How many of you have ever been persuaded to love somebody? You saw all their attributes. And let me tell you, there's a lot of people who've come to Christ because they were persuaded for the prescription. Okay? How many of you have ever been talked into love? Well, you know, they're so good, they're so right, da-da-da-da. Okay, I ought to love them. I should love them. I, maybe I can love them, right? How many of you have ever fell in love? Anybody here? Me and Connie. It's the only ones. <laughs> fell in love. Well, what does you mean? How many of you have ever asked somebody, how do you know when you're in love? How do you know when you're love? How do you know when you're love? And you know what they always say to you? You'll know. You'll know. Well, now, what kind of answer is that? It's an idle answer. You see, that kind of knowing happens to you. 
It's not something you've figured out. It's not some information you've got. It's not something that's persuaded you. There is just inside information. You just know, I can't do without her. I can't see my life apart from her. It's not that she persuaded me to love her, though she did. I had to persuade her to love. The whole point I'm trying to make, settle down on the front row. I started it, didn't I? The whole point is there's two kinds of love. There's a love that could, you've been persuaded, talked into that won't last. And there's a love that you fall into that will last forever. Because you see it, you feel it, you have it, you know it. It's just, it's just right. And the God says, you're going to enter into a relationship that you didn't learn about me. You're going to enter into a relationship where you know me. You perceive, you see, you feel, you understand, you recognize. It's a big difference. You see, in the Old Testament, the way they learned, you see, they were to learn to know the God. In Deuteronomy, it commands them to teach their children. You're going to, okay, here's what God said. And so you're to pass it down to your children and their children and their children and their children. And what they were passing down was the theology of God, the covenant of God. They were passing down and teaching their children to uphold the behavior, the, the moral code, the ceremonial rite, and the rote. And so all of this was by rote. And God says, no longer, you're not going to know me this way. You're not going to know me by persuasion and by education. You're going to know me by revelation. You're going to know me by my demonstration, by my impartation of my life into you. You're going to, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. A personal relationship. It don't get no better than this. The creator of the universe by his son through his spirit lives in me. You need to be more excited. In the old, they knew about God. And bless their heart, a lot of people in the church know about God. Their relationship with God was through teaching, passed down through generation to generation. There's a moral conformity to rules and rights. The new covenant is not essentially a belief system or a moral code that can be taught as mere knowledge and behaviorally applied. It's the dynamic presence and activity of the living Lord Jesus who himself said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. He didn't say, I'm going to teach you about the way. I'm going to show you the truth. I'm going to somehow just get you to live the life. He says, I am it. The new covenant is not a collection of propositions and precepts and principles. But it's the living person of Jesus Christ who lives by the law of his life. When a person surrenders his life to Christ, they're born again spiritually. They suddenly are alive to God. They have an inner spiritual knowledge of God. You must know. Preacher, are you saved? I know I am. Christ lives in me. Where is He in me? How do you know? I know. You'll know too. 
personal relationship. Number three. I'm doing pretty good. First service like to wore them out. <clears throat> Say it with me. A new nature. A personal relationship. These are, these are better promises. Better promises. The third one is full forgiveness. Full forgiveness. Look at verse 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds or iniquities. I will remember no more. Now, while this one is the last in the list, it is literally the foundation, the reason that all the blessings and the promises of the new covenant can be ours. In order of events, it's listed last, but it precedes every other blessing mentioned. In other words, the ground upon which everything else is built is this forgiveness, this, this mercy. I will be merciful. Now, don't you listen to me, because here's a big thing that's going on in our world right now. We think God is merciful, and He lets us off. We think God is merciful, and, and the, He just lets it slide. Everything, it's just going to, it's just, you know, it's just not that big of a deal. It's okay whatever you believe, it's okay whatever you do, because, you know, God loves you. That's not the mercy I'm talking about. The mercy I'm talking about is the one that can be expressed. It's called true justice because the injustice has been fully satisfied. That what God has done, what Jesus has done for us, has fully paid the price for that which was against God. For that which was apart from Him. For that which separated us from Him. When Jesus hung on the cross, cutting covenant between God and man... God was fully satisfied. Justice had fully been done. The wrath had been appeased. Everything was open now. God could be merciful. I want you to hear me. The idea is that justice has been satisfied and God can act in forgiveness toward us. God is merciful only. Because Jesus has fully satisfied both the price for sin and the full righteousness of the law. In and of and only because of Jesus is God's mercy shown. As long as Christ is rejected, God's mercy is rejected. As long as Christ is rejected, the promises are rejected. But as soon as Christ is accepted, the mercy is extended and God's promises are certain. You gotta hear me. You don't come to God because He loves you. You come to God because Jesus paid the price. The way is open. The door has been opened because the way has been made, not because the way's been paved by good works. Folks, your confession doesn't get you forgiveness. The blood of Jesus gets you forgiveness. Your promises to turn over a new leaf doesn't make you right with God. It's the blood of Jesus that made you right with God. You're not forgiven on the basis of what you can do and what you promise to do and what you promise not to do. You're, you're free and forgiven on the basis of what Christ has done on the cross.
There's three expressions of man's guilt here. Unrighteousness. It means a wrong done unto God. Unrighteousness with God. It's a rebellion against the sub. It's literally injustice. Folks, we don't have to tell you there's injustice in our world. Man is unjust. He doesn't do right. And even the best of men, their righteousness is like what? Filthy rags. Then it talks about sins. That's mean missing the mark, an offense, violating a divine law in thought or in action. And then iniquities is setting up my will against God, doing my own thing, living to please myself rather than God. God covers every part of our sin, our thoughts, our actions, our inner rebellion, the things that we don't even understand. The, the things, have you ever done something you didn't know why you did it? In other words, the things you don't even understand about your nature, God forgives you. And it's all based on the, the cross of Christ, the standing in between. That God is fully, listen, he's not just, he's not just a little satisfied with Jesus. He's well pleased. Now listen, and if he's well pleased with Jesus, he's well pleased with you who trust Jesus. He's well pleased. He's not just barely putting up with you. You're his favorite. Why? Because you've come into relationship with Him through His Son. And He is in the process of conforming you to the very image of His Son. And He likes that. You've been chosen. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation to show forth the praises of God. It don't get no better than that. Hebrews 10, 14 says, For by one offering he's perfected forever those who are being sanctified. For by one offering, the offering of himself, he's perfected forever. You want to say that again? He's perfected forever. One more time, just for good luck. He's perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now let me let, let's look at the look at the message translation of that. It was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to a perfect to perfect some very imperfect people. I like that. It's a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people by that single offering. He did everything that needed to be done for everyone who takes part in the purifying process. What part do I play in that? I take part in the purifying process. Are you perfect? No, but I'm on my way. Because I'm taking part in the purifying process. Well, how do you take part in the purifying process? I just say yes to Jesus. I trust Him. You see, every son that's not doing right, he disciplines because he loves us. He doesn't beat us like we beat our kids. Preacher, I don't beat my kids. Tell them that. We're just like them. God, why did you do this? Why is this happening? Why is all this? Because He loves us. 
and he's put his nature within us and we're in a personal relationship with him and we're in the process of a purifying act that God is working in us both to will and to do his good pleasure because his good pleasure is to make us everything we always wanted to be but couldn't be without him. Man, it don't get no better than this. This good preaching, whether you like it or not. The new covenant. I got the best news. It don't get no better than this. The new covenant doesn't depend on you. I think we need to give the Lord a hand on that one. The new covenant doesn't depend on you. The new covenant. Okay. Make it personal. The new covenant doesn't depend on me. How about you say it? The new covenant doesn't depend on me. Say it like you believe it. The new covenant doesn't depend on me. Well, how how can you say that, preacher? I say it because God said it. Look at the I wills. Who's the I in the I will? Who's given this word? Jeremiah given the word, but who's it from? God. God says, I'm going to do so. I will do something. I will make a new covenant. I will write. You know, we keep trying to write it on our heart. We keep trying to turn over a new leaf. God says, no, I'm going to do this. I will. I will make, I will write I will be a God to you. Everything, everything that God, God accept full responsibility of being God to you. All you can wish for or need in a God, He will be. I will be. And you will be my people. Not you can be, you shall be my people. I will be merciful. Christ has fully satisfied God concerning your sin. You don't have to satisfy God about your sin. Jesus did. Quit trying to pay for what's paid for. Well, I can't ever do that because you just, you know, you don't know what I've done. Yes, he knew what you did. He knew it before you did it and Christ paid for it. Let it go. Receive the life, full forgiveness. I will remember them no more. Now, when God says, I will remember no more, it doesn't mean that he's forgetful. God would have to deny his omniscience not to remember what we've done. But here's the point. God will never again bring that up and hold it against you. He will never bring it up. If you're being reminded of your failures and your faults and your sin, guess who's doing that? There's an accuser of the brethren. God said, you know, God, I did it again. And God says, did what? If you have to remind me of it, God's saying, you don't believe that I've forgiven it. If you have to continue to tell me about it. Now, if you're confessing it as a need for me, that's one thing. But if you're confessing it as a fault for you, I'm done with that. I did with that on the cross 2,000 years ago. I've settled that account and I'm never bringing it up. You'll never pay for that. 
because Jesus paid for it. And what a, a hypocrisy it would be for God to hold something against you that Jesus has paid for. I'll remember no more. God has removed every obstacle between you and himself. His is a throne of grace. And Hebrews says we can approach boldly that throne of grace through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. You can run into the throne room. You can cut a jig on the golden streets, on the Lassie Sea. And there's nobody going to come and say, you don't belong here. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. So all to him, I owe. Now, what do I owe? I owe to trust him. You can't pay for what's already been paid for. I mean, you can try. If you want to pay for, for lunch, I'll take it. You can try to pay for something that's already been paid for, but that's not the point. It's a mockery. You're, you're, what you're saying is, I don't accept what Jesus did for me. I've got to pay for it for myself. Good luck with that. It won't work. I will. I will. I will. It don't get no better than this. Well, then preacher, why don't we? Why don't we approach Him? Why don't we live in that freedom? Why don't we experience that life? Why don't we, why don't we know that we're in that personal relationship? Why don't we know that we're a new creation? Why don't we see our forgiveness and live in the fruit of our forgiveness? Why don't we? Chris preached it a few weeks back, quite a few weeks back now. Hebrews 3.19. I want you to see it in the Amplified. So we see that they were not able to enter into his rest because of their unwillingness to adhere to and trust in and rely on God. Unbelief had shut them out. The only thing that stops the full blessings of the promises of God is my unbelief and unwillingness to accept it. But here's good news. He's not going to leave you there. He's going to keep knocking on your heart. He's going to keep knocking on your head for some of us. He's going to keep knocking and keep knocking and keep pursuing. Why? Because Christ paid for it. You told Him one day. You accepted it. And God has accepted the full responsibility to get you to the finish line. You do realize the one of the Godhead that has the hardest work is the Holy Spirit because he has to deal with you. Jesus has already done his work. Father has already made his promises. But the Holy Spirit says, whew, my turn. And here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. I will guide you into all truth. I'll never leave you, never forsake you. I'm going to be there. I'm going to push, shove. I'm going to pull, tug. I'm going to reveal. I'm going to show you. You can trust me. Just trust me. Just trust me today. Just trust me. And let me tell you what faith is. I finally figured it out, what Major Thomas told to me a long years ago, probably some 30 years ago. I asked Major Thomas, Major Ian Thomas, I said, how do you define faith? And he said, well, it's patently obvious. He's an Englishman. He says, patently obvious. Faith is saying thank you. And I finally got old enough that I understand. You know what faith is? Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. The new covenant is not dependent on me. Thank you. Now you who began this work in me, I trust you. Philippians 1.6, I trust you. Bring it on to completion. Finish the work. I trust you. It don't get no better than the new covenant. Now listen to me. There's not going to be another one. Six Old Testament covenants, one New Testament covenant. One new covenant. There's not going to be another one. Acts 4.12, the revelation that Peter shared with them, he says, there's none other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. The same one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, also said, no one comes to the Father but by me. There's not going to be another one. You can't live in the old ones. They're passed away. There's only one, the new covenant. To reject it is to reject the promises. It's to live on your own will. Live by your own standards. Live by your own sin. Let's see how that works out for you. And Jesus, with both arms stretched out, are saying, Come through me. Come through me. So I'll have a confession for you. I'm going to confess to you. You ready for the pastor's confession? I'm forgiven. I'm free. I'm filled with the life of God. I'm loved and I'm safe. Thank you, Jesus. When's the last time you said thank you, Jesus, and meant it? Without it being just getting out of trouble. You almost had a wreck. Thank you, Jesus. Something bad almost came your way. Thank you, Jesus. Folks, listen, something bad came your way. He took it all. Thank you, Jesus. One more message. It's going to be on God's guarantee of who's going to keep the covenant next Sunday. The invitation is to enter in today. Enter in today. Thank you, Jesus. You say, how do I enter in? Thank you, Jesus. I really lay the whole weight of my life on him, and I trust him. I really believe him. I believe that he who said that, he who did it, is actually true. And I'm trusting that what he's promised. You see, the only one that can keep the promise is the one who promised. There's no ifs here. I will. question for me is, will I participate? Will I trust him? I will. I will trust him. Stand together with me.
Father, I bless you and I thank you for this day. And I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the, the, the covenant, the new covenant through his blood. I thank you that I can literally talk with you this morning. And no, I'm not talking to a figment of a religious imagination. I am talking to the one personal God who loved me and gave himself for me and gives himself to me to live the life he wants me to live. Father, I thank you. I enter in and I thank you that you will finish that which you began in me. Father, I invite this congregation. I invite the world to know, hear, and respond to Jesus Christ. Because it can't get no better than this. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to newcovenantlampasses.com.